Lord in prayer before the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We have thank you that you have given us your word in Christ Jesus. This morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, renew our minds, transform us, lift our souls unto you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing in our series, Living Stones. And there's been one overriding message that we've started with at the very beginning. It is this, and I want to see if you can now fill in the blank, because we've done it for a few weeks. The most important aspect above all is that we have a living faith in Christ Jesus. And yes, on a test, I also actually put the answer right below it, so just in case. But we are supposed to have that living faith, not a dead faith, not a part-time faith, but a full-time living faith. And you know what happens when you have a living faith in Christ Jesus? What happens naturally because of that is you bear fruit. The more you come alive in Christ Jesus, the more you bear fruit. So in our journey so far, we have covered what it means to be born to a living hope, to be holy, and then to be a spiritual house. Now, I don't know if you've really thought about this, but all of this was written by a fisherman. This is written by Peter. And it's just astounding the depth that he has when you think that he was a fisherman, and now he's writing this. As a matter of fact, when I first started this series, I thought, how can I preach this because it is so deep and profound? And then something else you find out with Peter is that there has been truly not just a change, but a transformation in him. Because think about Peter. You think about a rough, tumble guy, right? A guy who is ready to fight, who takes out the sword, cuts off an ear, and he's ready to fight for Jesus. But now he is writing to these Christians. And he says, it's not about the fighting. And as a matter of fact, you have to be willing to suffer for righteousness sake. What a change in his heart that had taken place. And that's the journey that you, are, you, are, you and I are on. See, we have been born again, right? We have this new living hope. And that we are called to live in a different manner. We are called to live to be holy. And we are called to be a spiritual house. We are also called to be willing to suffer for righteousness sake. And so our journey today in this message is have a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. Rather, be willing to suffer for righteousness sake. This is what happened with Peter. This is what he's writing to the Christians. This is our journey today. So we begin with having a humble mind. Starts off with this, chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So he says, first of all, have unity of mind. Unity is a word that gets used a lot today, isn't it? Especially in the political arena. 
after the election, everybody say, okay, now we must be in unity as Americans. And, and by the way, I believe that people really do want unity as Americans. But how unity gets used in the meaning, I don't think is what unity actually means. Because how unity is being used right now, it means that, yes, we must be unified as long as you think exactly what I think. As long as your beliefs are exactly like mine. It's the same thing with diversity. We celebrate diversity, but not that kind. You've got to be unified. And by the way, when I was working in corporate America and I had to actually teach diversity, it became harder and harder because it wasn't about diversity at all. You know, and you can see this playing out in our culture, right? In the cancel culture that we have. So it's not, it's not unity. It's certainly not diversity. We are actually living in an age of intolerance more than anything. So when P Peter writes, have unity of mind, he's not writing about how unity is being bandied about today. He's not saying you have to have the exact same thoughts, the exact same personality of everything. He says you have to live according to Christ. Because as Christians, we know that we have different personalities and thoughts. We have different gifts of the Spirit. And so unity is not uniformity. Okay? That's really critical. Unity does not mean uniformity. But if we aren't, if we don't have the same personality, if we don't have the, the exact same thoughts, if we don't have the exact same gifts, how can we be unified? And the answer is actually very simple but profound. We have unity of mind by having the mind of Christ. So we have a focus to have a unity of mind. It's not my unity, it's not your unity or your mind. It is in Christ Jesus. And we actually covered this quite a bit in our study in Philippians when we did Joy in times of trouble, we went through the entire book of Philippians. So I would encourage you to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read parts of that today to refresh ourselves what it means to have the mind of Christ. So Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human, human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is having the mind of Christ Jesus. See, the standard of unity is from Jesus, who, because of the great love with which he loved us, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. 
That's the mind. That's the humbleness of the mind of Christ Jesus. Look, in every relationship you have, there will be disagreements. It will happen in marriages. It will happen among family members. And it will also happen in churches. To think that there will never be disagreements and sometimes even sharp disagreements in any area of our lives is to fool ourselves. But here's the thing. When you stand on the firm ground and have the same mind, you work your way through it. And when you work your way through it, you can do that because you're standing on the same foundation. And on the other end of that disagreement is actually a stronger relationship. Because love, until it is tested, is not really love. And what that going through those disagreements, that is the refining fire that I've mentioned several times now. And God will use that refining fire to purify us and thus our relationships. And so to have those disagreements is fine if you're standing on the same ground, if you have the mind of Christ Jesus. That's why when I do uh, weddings, I say you first have to be Christians. And my wedding message is actually very simple. Marriage is good. Marriage is hard. You need Jesus. Okay, you got it. So the, it's the love, right? It's the love that we have. The unity of mind in Christ Jesus gives us love. He talks about sympathy, which is compassion, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. To have the mind of Christ is to have the love of Christ Jesus. If you have the mind but not the love, you don't have the mind. Uh, uh, one commentator, really good theologian that I like, I've quoted him before, Warren Wearsby. He said this, not only should we love God's people, but we should also love our enemies. The recipients of Peter's letter were experiencing a certain amount of personal persecution because they were doing the will of God. Peter warned them that official persecution was just around the corner, so they had better be prepared. The church today had better be prepared because we face difficult times ahead. Part of my role as a pastor is to be a watchman on the wall, to share with you the things that have been happening, not only around the world, but in the United States and even in our town here. And I share these things so you can be better prepared when you come face to face with them. The difficulty is, when you hear some of these things, it makes your blood boil, right? Or kind of, what does they say, raise your dander? Is that it? I don't think that's Minnesota, but, you know, ra raising your dander, get, getting your blood going. And if you drink too deeply of the headlines and of the news and everything else on social media, it creates malice in your heart. And you want to seek revenge against all of this evil. You want to stomp it out. 
Now, as much evil as there is in the world today that we want to fight against, there was just as much in Peter's day, if not more, and very, very blatant. So, Peter now says something that's very different from how he would have been before to how he is now in Christ Jesus. He says this, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Look, our natural inclination to seek revenge, an eye for an eye, so to speak, is very powerful in us. Take a look at the news and the headlines today. It's not even journalism anymore because they say so-and-so destroyed this other person or they crushed or they annihilated their opponent. It talks about the revenge and the, the violence that occurs. And I'm not talking physical violence here, although that certainly does happen, doesn't it? But I'm talking a war, literally a war of words. And when you have that war of words, it comes because your tongue is not tamed. And our untamed tongue sets fire to everything in its path. Just go back, read James chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, and you will see how dangerous the tongue is. So in this section from First Peter, it's talking, he's really talking about the desire for an eye for an eye that people have. Because really, if somebody does such evil, shouldn't they at least get justice? And can't I speak out like that and annihilate them? Because that's the justice they deserve. Well, think about that for a moment. Is that the calling to which we are called? Well, you would say, well, God is about justice, isn't he? Look, if God were simply about justice, none of us would be here. None of us would be here. If God were only about justice, because we all deserve damnation. (laughs) We actually do deserve to be annihilated. But God is not just about that, is he? There's something else that he is about. And God is about mercy. He's about being merciful. This is what the Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. Yahweh, I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. That's who our Lord is. Wearsby also wrote this, as God's loving children, we must do more than give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We must operate on the basis of mercy, for that is the way God deals with us, with mercy. And I got to tell you, this is one of 
maybe the hardest lessons in all of Scripture to really take in is truly the mercy of God. From our gospel reading today, from Luke, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but listen to this and think about the standard of mercy that Jesus is proclaiming. But I say to you, who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If, lo- if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Wow. See, that's the calling that you and I have been called to. All of us as Christians have been called to that because you have been born to a living hope, because you are of a royal priesthood who is called to be holy, because we are a spiritual house, we are to live and breathe in the mercy of God. Because our God, the Father, is merciful. In simple terms, we are to live a life of the gospel, not of the law. The law demands justice. The gospel gives mercy. And because we have that living hope, right? I actually want to get down here, but nobody would see me online then. Because we have that living hope, because we are born again, and have the gospel, we should have the gospel be front and center in all that we do. That's the life to which we are called. And because we are blessed with that, we bless others. That's why Peter quotes Psalm 34, by blessing you will see good days. Now, are those good days by worldly standards? No, no. Doesn't mean you're going to get rich. Doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect life. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to have surgery or anything else. But there is a blessing that he is talking about here. And ultimately, you're going to find that blessing, especially when you suffer for righteousness sake. Verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That verse 13, right? Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? This is really similar to another question that Paul writes in Romans. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? But here's the question. If you are in Christ Jesus, if God is for you in Christ Jesus, does that mean you will never suffer harm? The answer is no, right? I mean, we see that by our own lives. We need not look any further than that. I mean, if you take a look at uh, Peter, by strong tradition, he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified uh, in the same way the Lord was crucified. Remember what happened to Paul? He was in prison, and then what happened? He was beheaded. And all the other apostles, except for John, all the other apostles, we find that were martyred. 
John was actually in exile on the island of Patmos. So did harm come to them? Yes. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this, Matthew 24, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and here's a, here's a little phrase that people miss, and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So when he says, when Peter writes, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? How can we understand that then, knowing that there is suffering and harm? Well, you have to understand what Peter has been writing about, though, and he's helping the exiles focus on is what is ahead of them. The goal, the reward that is ahead of them. Do you remember what that is? It is imperishable, unfading. It is eternal life with Christ Jesus, and that will never change because of who Christ Jesus is. He says, because of that, right? Because of who Christ Jesus is, because of the gospel, be zealous for good. Oh, there's a word, right? Zealous. Now, I wish we could do a little bit more interchange. I would, but I'd ask you, what's your initial reaction to that word? And I bet there's a whole spectrum of that. Most people are like, zealous, uh, that's a little strong there. Uh, I don't know if I want to be zealous. You know, it almost becomes an insult, right? Don't be so zealous. In Peter's day, it was a political insult. But what is zealous? I mean, we, we're, so, we're somehow afraid of that word, and we shouldn't be. Zealous. It means eagerness. It means passionate. It means a fervent attitude. So, if I said you should be passionate about doing good, would you flinch at that? No, you wouldn't. Well, I hope you wouldn't. Or you should be eager or fervent. I mean, we should all be eager to do good. But we're somehow afraid of that word, zealous. Because it is a more encompassing word for us, isn't it? It's about our life, not just a hobby. So what's the good that he's talking about? Is the good here to uh, help the poor, the widows, the orphans, those who are in need, the hungry? Should we be zealous for doing, should we be zealous for doing good things like that? Yes, yes, we should, shouldn't we? We should be passionate about the people who are poor, who are hungry, who are in need. I mean, really, we got a goal, 60 bottles here. Let's be eager, let's be passionate about helping mothers and fathers with their unborn and then their born because it's not just about being born, they help them throughout. So let's be passionate about that. Let's be eager, let's be zealous about that. But is, is this what Paul is addressing here about doing good? Well, yes, it definitely is in part of, in part, part of it. I mean, we find that message throughout all of Scripture about helping those in need. But I think there's something more to it than that. I think, because how many people are going to actually suffer for helping somebody who's poor? Are you going to suffer for that? Are you going to suffer for uh, finding a home for someone? Are you going to suffer for helping somebody uh, raise a child? Yeah, 
you're not, the world's going to go, hey, good, that's good. So I think there must be a, something a little bit more to it than that. And the clue is in verse 15. Now, you've only got verse 15 on there. I'm going to read through 17. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than doing for evil. So what's the good for which you would suffer for righteousness' sake? As a matter of fact, what's the greatest good you can do here on earth? It's an interesting question, isn't it? What's the greatest good you could do here on earth? I believe the greatest good is this to share with others Jesus and his gospel. How long is our life here? It's but a, a, a blip, right? Compared to eternity. For people to know Jesus Christ and his gospel, that's the greatest good. I'm not discounting all of those other things. Those other things are very important. Very important. But the greatest good is to let people know about Jesus and his gospel. It will always be burned in my memory I went to a, a discussion, a panel discussion, and there was a woman there who shared about Lutheran social services. And uh, she said, Lutheran social services helped my family. I was a single mother with kids. We needed a place. We needed furniture. We got all of that. But then she chastised everybody in the room. She said, you gave us all of that, but you left out what was the most important thing. You didn't tell us about Jesus and the gospel. And that has always been in my mind. So Peter says, you need to be prepared to share about Jesus and his gospel. It says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. Now this word defend the actual word is apology. Apology does not mean I'm sorry. It means to be able to actually state the reasons why you believe what you believe. So a Christian apologist is one who can defend the faith to give reasons for our belief. And we as a church have fallen so bad on that. The current culture of a church says, come to church Worship, go home, forget about it. But then, especially with the age of the internet and critics abounding everywhere, you get people who say, oh, so you're a Christian, huh? And then they will give you a question that you aren't prepared for. Something like, oh, you take the Bible literally, huh? Well, then why are you wearing clothing with mixed thread? Haven't you read in the Old Testament that you're not supposed to do that? And all of a sudden, you're left without an answer. And by the way, it's the Old Testament. We're not on, under that law anymore. It's really simple. But people get shaken in their faith, especially young children or youth. 
they get shaken. And then they leave the faith because they have no foundation. So in the church, we need preaching and teaching. We need them both. Preaching lifts the soul. Teaching helps the soul stand on firm ground. And that's why in my ministry, what I'm called to do is both preaching and teaching combined. Because it is to prepare you to be able to stand firm in the faith and the mind of Christ, no matter what the culture brings. All right. But this reason for hope that you have to, that you are to be able to share. Why are you a Christian? I mean, you should be able to answer that question. Why are you a Christian? It's got to be done with gentleness and respect. Too many people, too many people seek to destroy the skeptic. They want to win the argument at all costs. But when they win the argument at all costs, they lose the soul. Not only that person's, but a little of theirs. So the reason for your hope must be given in gentleness and respect. If you're interested in looking at people who are really good at this, there's a number of them that I have studied under, not necessarily personally, but I've studied them. Ray Comfort is one. James White is another. Greg Kokel. I have a couple of Greg Kokel's books. I studied him pretty intensively for a couple of years, learning from him. And by the way, he will tell you that he wasn't really good at it when he started. He wanted to win the argument. And he had to learn how to be gentle. He had to learn how to be an ambassador for Christ. And by the way, all of these people that I've mentioned, they have been slandered greatly, not only from skeptics, but even from within the body of Christ. And they have stood admirably in the face of such slander. And why have they been able to stand admirably? Because verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter wrote this, right? Peter was transformed because of who Christ is. We too can be renewed and transformed, having the mind of Christ Jesus. So now, we want to hear the word, we want to apply the word, and when we hear and apply, we grow in Christ Jesus. So, three questions for you today. Do you have the mind of Christ? You know, I'm working on it. And in some days, it's a struggle. Talk to me about technology, and boy, I don't have the mind of Christ there. Live streaming. But this is real, right? This is life. So, focus on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. With the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, pray for your enemies. And you might have to pray, first of all, for your heart to be softened. Number three, in what ways do you need to grow in your understanding of your Christian faith? If you're unable to answer the question in a simple manner, why are you a Christian? Come talk to me and we'll work it out. I'm pretty good at taking things and making them simple so people can understand. We have a wonderful God, don't we? Amen. And to that, 
Amen.